just real quickly in a review of last Sunday, we talked about God meeting Moses at Mount Horeb where he, he appeared to Moses in a stunning display of power and authority over the laws of physics. Talk about an entrance. Now, you, you ever met somebody who can make an entrance? <laughs> Nobody can make an entrance like God can. God showed up as a theophany standing in the raging flames of a burning bush that was not consumed, even though it burned. And Moses, who thought of himself as a loser, inadequate after his failure. We know that because of the life choices he made, living on the backside of a desert and all those things. Moses, who felt so incapable and felt so unworthy that that he didn't think his life had meaning anymore. God had to go to these extraordinary lengths to convince him that Moses, this is your assignment and you can do this, bro. You can do this. I want you to think about it because it's so amazing that we can read the word of God and just kind of read the most remarkable things that have happened and like, oh yeah, yeah. Like the Red Sea party. And we don't even stop to look at the supernatural dimension of that. And speaking of the supernatural, you know, um, we, we just had one of our ladies, a member of, of my family, in fact, who had myeloma that God has just healed. And even the doctors said that it was, the doctors couldn't even believe it. Somebody ought to give God some praise for that. Amen. I believe in miracles. Can I hear somebody say Amen. But think about it. There was a burning bush that was not consumed. God appeared as a theophany. Then there was the audible voice of I am speaking from the bush. I mean, how many of us have ever had an experience like that? But that wasn't all. Then God turned Moses' rod into a serpent. And then turned it back into a rod again. Which was interesting because last Sunday, you know, you you, you ever have snakes show up in your yard and stuff like that? I got through preaching about this last Sunday, and guess what happened? A snake showed up back there. Carl snake. And um, somebody said, y'all handle snakes? We handled that one. (laughs) Amen. And then he turned Moses into a leper and healed him. Made him whole again. All of these amazing things in the event, uh, or rather in the matter of a few minutes, so that Moses could prepare himself For the event of a lifetime to be used by God and get beyond his own paralyzing sense of inability and allow God to use him to fulfill his destiny and his purpose. And I absolutely love it. I love it that God cares so much for each one of us that he's willing to go to such extraordinary lengths to demonstrate his love and his commitment to each of us. We've been talking in this series about mountains move. Because we all encounter mountains in our lives, mountains that are insurmountable, difficult, challenging, towering, soaring, rocky, steep, that we have to navigate over or around to proceed and move ahead with our destinies. And God's desire is for all of us to move beyond our limitations and the obstacles that stand in our way. But I want to say that one of the biggest mountains is the label of of wrong identity. The label 
that life can put on you like it did on Moses. Loser. The sense of inadequacy that I preached about last week. And today, I want to get a little bit close to home. It might even make some of us a little uncomfortable. And I want to do a deeper dive into where those inadequacies and fears and insecurities and doubts come from. And then talk about how to better embrace the grace of God to overcome them. So I want us to look at our text in Genesis 3, beginning verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now let me just set the scene here. God is not asking because Adam is so good at hide and seek, God can't find him. Just thought I'd let you know. He's asking Adam, where are you? Because he wants Adam to figure out where he's at. And I don't mean in terms of his GPS location either. I'm talking about where you at in your thinking, Adam? Where you at in your relationship with me? Where are you at now in your life? And so Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And I want you to notice God's response because it is so insightful. He said, who told you that you were naked? It was a dead giveaway that something was amiss because Adam is now recognizing deficiency in his life. He's feeling exposed. He's feeling inadequate. You ever have a dream that you didn't have all your clothes on and people were around? You know, I hear people talk about dreams like that. That's actually quite common, just in case you were one of those that had a dream like that. Woo! That's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? God said, who told you you were naked? Who made you aware of this? Who caused you to believe there's inadequacy? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Here's the point. Is that you could look at Adam and never know that he was dealing with this. Because there are some mountains that are hidden. And you don't always see them. And you're wondering how that can possibly be true. But it really is. Because the tallest mountains in the world are not those that are located above On ground, they're located on the ocean floor. For example, we say that the tallest mountain in the world is Mount Everest, and it isn't. I've seen it a number of times. I've preached in India and Nepal. Mount Everest is 29,029 feet high. But did you know that Mount Kia in Hawaii is, get this, 33,000 feet high from its base to its summit? That's 4,000 feet taller, almost a mile taller than Mount Everest. And the reason you don't know this is because Mount Kia starts on the ocean floor. And most of its bulk is hidden beneath the surface. How many people do you know that they are facing mountains and most of that mountain is hidden where you don't even see it? How many of you are facing a mountain? That's hidden. And maybe every once in a while you get a glimpse, a glimpse of the summit that breaks through the, the surface. 
Because you see, just like it's true in the natural, it's true in life too. You can face mountains that others can't see and these mountains are deep inside of you. And today I want to speak on one of those and my subject is mountain of personal lack of fulfillment. Lack of personal fulfillment. Move. Mountain of lack of personal fulfillment. Move. Father, would you speak to us right now? And let your word talk to our hearts and our lives and give us hearts to be receptive and to hear the word of God that it can do its work, the work that it does so well in transforming us and setting us free. Because when we know the truth, the truth can set us free. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Go and shout it out loud and say, Amen. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we read that God created Adam in his image and in his likeness. And God's image does not refer to him having certain physical characteristics like ears or nose. And, and, and this morning I laughed and others laughed. I got hung up on a word. And being made, in, and I'm going to tell you what it is in a moment. Being made in God's image doesn't mean that because we have eyes and a nose that God does too. God is a spirit. God will often speak of himself anthropomorphically. That's the word I got hung up on. I couldn't say that word for the life of me this morning. And every once in a while I was preaching, I'd just stop and laugh at myself because that's a word I've used so often. But when it talks about God, like the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, it's not for you to think that God has eyes like we do in the same sense, two eyes in the middle of his forehead, because then he wouldn't be able to see behind himself, right? What it literally means is that God is, as it were, using language to break down an understanding of his divine nature to our level. Amen. And in Genesis 1.28, it says that God gave man the, the Genesis are the dominion mandates. There are five of them. Some say four, but I count five. Man was made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. He carried God's image, and God's image is glory. Amen. His image is not physical features, it's glory. And man carried that glory of God. And the Bible says regarding Adam in verse 28 of chapter 1, he blessed him and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And notice this. He gave him these five dominion mandates, be fruitful, which means to be productive. Number two, to multiply, which means to increase numerically at an exponential rate. Number three, to fill the earth. Number four, to subdue the earth. And number five, to have dominion, which means to have governmental authority and rule. Nothing in creation questioned the authority of Adam and Eve because when they looked at Adam and Eve, they saw the Imago Dei. They saw the glory of God. They said, it looks just like God to me. We better obey. That's, our, that's the image of our creator that is reflected back through Adam and Eve. But then the serpent showed up. And, and I'm going to, maybe you might have to, you know, kind of bear with me a little bit on this one because I, I wasn't there and neither were you, but I have my thoughts when the serpent showed up, I'm not sure that it was an actual physical serpent. Satan can take on different forms through which he attempts to deceive us. And he can also 
move into creatures. Look at this herd of swine that ran down uh, the steep cliff into the sea whenever Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac of Gadara. Um, but people these days are taking hallucinogenic drugs like DMT and psilocybin. I want to caution you against that. That's becoming quite common. And one of the, they're, they're seeing the same things. And one of the things that they all talk about seeing is serpents. Serpents. That scares me. I wouldn't get within 100 miles of that kind of stuff. They say, well, it's not a scary feeling. It doesn't matter if it's a scary feeling or not. You need to know that Satan's earliest appearance in the world was in the form of a serpent. And he appears... And what I really think is happening is that that man was created with certain senses that we have lost from the post-fall in experience with the the enemy. One of those, for example, is length of life. After Adam and Eve left the garden, they lived for, man, look at the years. Adam lived well over 900 years. Was it 960 years? And others live to be very old. And then gradually the age began to fall off. You know what I think that was? That was the reflected glory fading. Just like Moses had to wrap his mantle around his face because people said, we see the glory. And then it faded and he kept it wrapped up so folk wouldn't know he had lost it. Amen. Because we want everybody to think we're up there. You know what I mean? And so... Man lost some things. He had divine sight. I think he had the ability to see into the spirit realm. I think he had the ability to hear the voice of God audibly in a way that we have since not quite maintained at the same level. I think man lost a lot of things. He had divine knowledge. He didn't ever need to get healed because he had divine health. But those things faded after he came out of the garden. And so Satan appears, and whether it was a physical serpent or he inhabited uh, a serpent to do this particular deed, or rather it was Adam peering into the spirit realm, which he lost the ability to do, Satan deceived man. And they call this DMT and psilocybin, they call that the spirit molecule, if you've known anything about it. And it's become hugely popular. Lots of people out there, celebrities are doing it. And when celebrities do it, it worries me because they are influencers. Rashad Evans, UFC, Mike Tyson. We could go on and on list of people that are doing it. And they're seeing these spirit beings. I listened to Rashad Evans on YouTube talk about seeing a snake, a towering serpent that was towering over him. And, and just, I want to say again, that I believe that what the spirit molecule, they call that, the DMT, the psilocybin, I think what it does is over time, our senses were dulled. And just like you can take certain things that will give you a heightened sense of awareness, that one might make you more aware of the spirit dimension, but don't think for a minute God's in that kind of stuff. The only way I want to see into the spirit realm is on my knees. I need a better amen than that. And Satan deceived Adam and man fell and his fall came with a great profound sense of loss and a deep sense of inner pain. Like the loss of a loved one, losing uh, uh, the, and the pain you experience over someone close to you dying or the grief over a divorce, the experience of rejection that you would feel over a shattered and broken relationship where there's been betrayal. 
Only the pain was far worse than those kind of losses. Last week, we talked about how even though God was calling Moses to his destiny and purpose, Moses felt so inadequate that he argued with God, I can't do this. You got the wrong guy. Get somebody else. Here comes my brother. That's what, well, he didn't say it, but God said, here comes your brother. Let me share some things about inadequacy in personal inward pain and a sense of a lack of fulfillment And where they come from that I hope will help you. First, I want to say this. If you struggle with inner hurt, there's healing available in Christ. Can I hear an amen? God still heals the wounded. Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. It's possible that your heart can be broken. We usually understand that within the parameters of a relationship that was disappointing. But there are other ways your heart can be broken as well. So let me just say this, that if your heart is broken, no matter how it was broken, broken means it doesn't work right anymore. Making sense to anybody? When your car is broken down, it doesn't go anymore. Real funny. Years ago, uh, Chevrolet put out a car called the Nova. The Nova, true story. And they thought it would sell really well in Latin American countries because it was not expensive. But who here is Spanish and knows what Nova means? It means in Spanish, it won't go. That's what Nova means. So nobody wanted to have the no-go car. And finally, somebody had to tell them. Your heart can be broken where it doesn't go anymore. Doesn't work right. If a washing machine is broken, it won't work right. You get what I mean? And your heart is your emotions, your thinking, your ability to make good, intelligent decisions. And you can be damaged and left in a way that your emotions don't work right anymore. Your thinking doesn't work right. You're not making good decisions. I want you to know right now that God can transform you because transformation is a work of the grace of Almighty God. And God came to heal the broken hearted. Second, I want you to understand that healing comes through a process of being able to understand trauma, triggers, triumphs, and transformation. Say that with me. Trauma. Triggers, triumphs, and transformation. That's what I want to talk about. So let's look first at trauma. And we'll get to triumphs and transformation. And Well, triggers, triumphs, and transformation in a minute. Because you don't get to those until you understand the effects of trauma. Trauma comes from a Greek word that means to wound. We all know about physical wounds. They leave scars. You get cut. Uh, You get scarred. It heals. But there are wounds on the inside that can take much longer to heal that leave scars. And nobody ever sees the wound or the scar. Because like the mountain, Mount Kia, it's hidden beneath. Most of it is hidden beneath the surface. Emotional wounds can come in many ways. Family members can wound each other. You might have been raised in a dysfunctional family. It can wound you. People go through many types of traumatic experiences in life. Losing a loved one. Like we've lost precious people this week. And 
that's just, as I've stated already, that's just common in life. That's painful. And you can be wounded emotionally when you've lost a lover. When someone leaves you for another person. If there's been an affair. If you've been passed over for a promotion. Or you lose a job. Or in some other way you experience rejection. It's hard to not internalize that. And it can be very traumatic. Emotional hurt can be the consequence of a personal failure as well. Where you disappoint your own standards and values. And it can leave you feeling that you don't measure up. That was the case with Moses, I think. He messed up and then because he messed up, he gave up. And he lived 40 years in obscurity. Picture the, how traumatic this incident must have been to make him move from a Pharaoh's palace with marble floors and soaring columns and gold and wealth and splendor to the backside of a desert for 40 years. First 40 years, wealth. Next 40 years, not so much. Emotional trauma can occur over imagined injustice as well. And it can be just as real as if someone actually did you wrong, though you just perceived there was a wrong done and there actually wasn't. And people can feel incomplete because they are emotionally wounded. And that was Adam's thing. God, I'm naked, so I hid myself. I'm, I'm covering up a deficit, a deficiency. I'm covering up a loss here. And God immediately recognized where it came from. And whenever you experience trauma, it takes something from you. It takes your peace, if nothing else. It takes your sense of security. You feel exposed. It can take your innocence. Ask any child that was raised in an abusive home. And where personal trauma first began is important because we always think it began with us at the divorce or at in our childhood. No, no, not actually. It started way before then and it begins with what is called original pain. Original pain is the term I use to refer to, and it's a common term, to refer to the pain and emptiness that every person experiences because they have been born into sin and it had nothing to do with your choices. It had everything to do with Adam and Eve's choices. And they failed from their relationship with God. They lost the Imago day. Something was taken away. The image of God was stolen from them. And every one of their descendants grew up with sin coursing through their bloodstream. Every one of us broken. It's the emptiness that people live with daily. It's always been there as far back as you can remember. You never quite figure out what that nagging hunger is. So you start trying to fill it with all kind of stuff. Psychologist John Bradshaw called it a hole in our soul. We were born with one. And it's what we call original pain. It began with original sin. It's when Adam and Eve were deceived by the enemy... You see, because Satan looked at Adam and Eve and saw them carrying the image of God, the Imago Dei. And Satan said, I want them to carry my image, my broken, wretched, miserable, twisted image. I don't want them to have that kind of glory. I know what that was like. I used to live in heaven and saw it constantly. And so he appears to the woman 
and the man, we get the idea that Adam was on, you know, taking a business trip and flown to St. Louis. He wasn't. She ate, turned to her husband and gave. He was right there. Only he didn't fulfill his mandate to her as a husband because she wasn't even around. When God said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree, go back and read the timeline of the story. He was supposed to inform her. We blame the woman. No, 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 no. Adam wasn't a priest to his wife. And he should have said, honey, baby doll. Nope, that's not going to happen. We're not eating that. We got all these other trees. But he kept his mouth shut and did not deliver the message he should have delivered to his own wife. I don't have time to deal with all that, but some of you guys... Be a priest to your family. So Satan said, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said, no, that's not true. That's not what he said. He just said, don't eat of this one tree. And look at what the enemy did. He said, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And so you could say that the very first trigger the enemy ever found In terms of a weakness in mankind that he could exploit or utilize, the first trigger was doubt. And we all have these triggers. You know what I mean? Somebody pushed the wrong button and you react to that. Oh, you're looking at me like, no, pastor, I have no idea what you are talking about. Me, a trigger in me? My husband, maybe, but not me. My, My kids, oh, they got all kind of triggers. But me, oh yes, Satan found the first trigger and exploited it. And that was to create doubt. He made a way, he found a way to make man react. And let me say this, you are way ahead of the game when you begin to figure out what your own triggers are. Listen, I just said something that was profound. You need to remember, figure out your own triggers so that you don't let people go to pushing them all the time and you start acting out in a way that you later regret. Amen. And so Satan convinced them, you won't die. And not only, what are you doing listening to the devil anyway? And then not only did he Convinced them they wouldn't die. Made them doubt that they were who they already were. That God had declared them to be. He said, God knows in the day that you eat of this, you will be like God. Hey guys, I got news for you. When God created them, they were already created like God. They had the Imago Dei. So he said, watch it unfold. If you do this, you can become who you really already are. You didn't get that. He made them doubt who they were so they would feel the need to do something to earn what God gave them freely. Adam and Eve were already the children of God. Luke 3, 37 through 38. It counts from the lineage of Christ all the way back from Christ to Adam. And listen, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahaliah. Uh, The son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam was already the son of God, but Satan made them doubt this. Just like when he approached Jesus, Andrew preached about it a few weeks ago. If thou be the son of God, Satan will introduce doubt into your life. 
And what he also made them do was doubt the, the very nature of God. God knows that if you do this, you will become like him. And all of a sudden they were doubting the goodness of the heart of God. Amen. God's holding out on you. I hate to be the guys to break the bad news to you, but the reason he don't want you eating that tree is because if you eat that tree, you will become like him and God don't want you to be all that. He wants you to be less than who you are. I want to tell you right now, not once will you ever find God asking you to be less than who you are supposed to be. God has never asked an Abram Abraham to be content with being Abram. He's never asked an, uh, 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 an Israel to be content with being an, uh, with, with content to be with being an, uh, a Jacob. Let me get that out. He's never asked a, uh, an Israel to be content with being a Jacob. He's never asked a, a, a Paul to be content with being a Saul. God don't ask you to step down. God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. I will say that again. God has better plans for you than you have for your own life and future. You never lose anything by obeying God. And so Satan caused them to believe they were incomplete. And that's that sense that I'm talking about of lack of fulfillment. And now they needed something. And in the scripture, it's called the lie. Twice the Apostle Paul in his writings refers to the lie. Not one of the lies, not a lie, but the lie. Romans 1.25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, and for this cause God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Not a lie, not one of many lies. It's, Paul could have written that because the devil is the father of lies, but he didn't. Genesis teaches us that the lie is that you can ever do anything beyond what God has already done for you to make you make him love you more. God loves you just the way you are. And, ex and grace accepts you the way you are. And that's how you can come to God Knowing that when you ask for forgiveness and repent and repent before him, that he will accept you. That's why I'm having that series taught on Wednesday night. I've got to hurry because my time is gone. The lie is that you will ever be able to do anything to increase your value in the eyes of God. Because God has already declared that you are of inestimable and immeasurable worth to him. And if you listen to the lie, you will set about to try to find your own happiness and feel what Bradshaw called that hole in your soul with something else. And that brings me to the four P's because people try to feel that emptiness and vacancy on the inside with the four P's. You know what they are? People, pleasure, possessions, and power. There you go. Everything you face in life can be summarized under one of those things. People, I mean the acceptance of others. Folk will join a gang because that gang offers them a sense of belonging. Can you imagine? Even though they're going to end up spending half their life in prison later on because of it. And because of the mistakes that gang will lead them to do. But they're looking for acceptance. Or how about this pleasure which is fun and titillation and excitement. And fleshly appetites and affairs and, and possessions. 
money, cars, houses, vacations, etc. Power, positions, titles, fame, status on social media. How many followers or likes you have? Look, the only one you really need following you is goodness and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life. Anything else is a plus. Am I talking to anybody right now? Hallelujah. As a fallen man, we have to become aware that we are going to be lured by the enemy to try to fill up that emptiness on the inside with the wrong things. And, and then we have all these fig leaves we put together too that are dead giveaways like Adam's fig leaves were dead giveaways that he had yielded to the wrong influences. Or the, you can call these the triggers if you want to. Like when we act out of self-will, dead giveaway. Bitterness. We start acting out of ego. Why do we act out of ego? We need to prove ourselves to be somebody. No, you don't. That's the whole point. Christ already spoke value over your life. When God said that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's about as valuable as anything will ever be. Hello, somebody. So don't yield to ego. Just in case you don't know it, ego is not your amigo. Look at somebody and say that. Ego is not my amigo. Would you do that? Distrust. Being overly sensitive. Easily angered. I will. Thank you. Somebody said talk about it. I will. Get rid of the rage and turn a page. Amen. The inability to commit to a relationship. These are old insecurities and wounds and evidence of things within us. Because you know what makes a person unwilling to commit? It's afraid they're going to be disappointed again. And there are triggers that can activate all these old feelings of inadequacy. And you know what they do? They dominate our lives. None of these things you try can fill the emptiness within. And I want to tell you, some folk even do it in a marriage. Rather than turning to God to fill up this gaping hole of original pain, they marry somebody and they say, you got to fill it now. That's your job. And after seven or eight years, my, my wife doesn't satisfy me, pastor. My the husband will say, the wife says, says, my husband doesn't make me fulfilled. I just want to let you in on a secret, all of you families here, that your companion, your spouse will never be able to fill up the emptiness inside completely that only God can fill. Somebody ought to give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. They can't feel that emptiness on the inside. So let's close with triumphs and transformation because we've talked about trauma and triggers. To experience transformation is a process and it doesn't happen overnight. Even after you get saved, it won't happen overnight. You know why? Because you carry into your new relationship with God the old way of thinking. Oh, I need a better response. 
It wasn't to unbelievers that Paul speaks in Romans 12, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. It's to believers that he's talking. You got saved. You've been serving Christ for a while. Now change the way you think. There's only one thing that can help you change the way you think. I said it last Sunday. That's this book I'm preaching from right here. Reprogramming your thought processes with the word of God. And so you know what's going to do? You're going to go along and you're going to have a triumph. And then you're going to get knocked back a step or two. Like Peter. I promise. I swear. I'm not going to betray you. (laughs) Yeah, really, Peter. No, I'm not, Lord. I promise I'm not. Yeah, we'll see. I I told you I'm not. Well, let's wait and and see how that works out. Because inevitably, you go to promising what you're never going to do again. And you end up doing it and you disappoint yourself. So life is one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back. You get my point? And you experience triumphs until as you fast and pray and you begin to work on yourself and you begin to tell yourself, I am the loved, uh, the beloved child of God. God loves me. And you begin to think about the goodness of God and you reject the lie of the devil that God is holding out on you. As you begin to reject Satan's lies, you move to transformation. I won't tell you what did it for me. And the reason I can speak about this with some sense and measure of authority is because I've lived there. Put out by my mama when I was four years old, grew up in a dysfunctional home, all kind of stuff going on, left left home when I was 15, joined a rock and roll band, the whole kind of stuff messed up my life. You, You can't believe the trouble I was in. And I got saved. And I was saved positionally. I was a child of God. Emphatically, I was a child of God. I was born again. If I would have died, I would have gone straight to heaven. But do you think this knew that? No. I knew what the scripture said, but that hole I was talking about on the inside. And one day, it took years, but I found Ephesians chapter 1. I would read it before. But that's why I say stay in the word of God. Reading it will transform your life. I read Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. Listen to this. Having predestined us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And then verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted. In the beloved. I need somebody to say I am accepted. I'm accepted. I'm accepted. I was raised in a church kind of background where every service you had to repent lest you miss heaven. There wasn't any such thing as eternal security. It was eternal insecurity. Amen. I'm telling you. That's the truth. But listen to the Passion translation, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us. And I like to use this one to pray with. As his delightful children, through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan gives him great pleasure. I give pleasure to God because it was always his plan. To accept me. Always his plan. 
I used to think he was like a motorcycle policeman hiding on the, behind the billboards on the highway of life, just waiting for me to drive by so he could get out and walk over and say, driver's license. Like I didn't belong. It was life transforming for me to discover that God loved me. And so I close with only one life application point. Can you believe it? Accept the finished work of Christ. Believe who God says you are. You are a child of almighty God. If you've been born again, God loves you. Would you stand to your feet across the building?